You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. It is so wonderful to be here and to see everyone this lovely Friday afternoon here in Houston, Texas. To all of our listeners online, please like and share this podcast. Please rate it. We appreciate it very much, and we love your feedback. The Talmud we're going to discuss this week is very related to something that's been going on in my brain. That's typically how classes go. It's like when I'm thinking about something or working on something, I want to share that in our learning so we can learn and grow from it, at least me, so that I can learn and grow from it. And recently, we've been talking about the blessing that we recite on the trees and how everything that Hashem created, He created for our pleasure. Everything that Hashem created, He created for our pleasure. Hashem wants us to enjoy. Hashem wants us to love every minute of our lives. And therefore, we have a special halacha, a special law that teaches us that in the month of Nisan, which today is the last day of the month of Nisan, today is Rosh Chodesh, so Chodesh Tov to everyone. And the mitzvah, the halacha says that you should find a tree, a fruit tree that you can see the buds starting to blossom and recite a blessing. What's the blessing? And it comes from the Talmud. Let's see the Talmud in tractate Brachot 43b says as follows. Amr Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda said, My man de nafik mi nisan, one who goes out during the days of nisan, v'chazi ilani deko milav leve, and sees fruit trees in bloom, omer baruch shalochisa barolam davar, he should say, blessed are you Hashem, king of the universe, who did not leave anything lacking in his universe, Uborobo Brios Tobos Vilanos Tobos, and created in it good creatures and good trees, Lehanos Bahen Ne Adam, to cause mankind pleasure with them. So what did Hashem do? Hashem created a world and he created in it fabulous creatures and fabulous trees. Why? To cause mankind pleasure with them. If anyone is to ever ask you, why did God create me? Why did God create this world? The answer is in this blessing. For one purpose, for pleasure. God gave us this world for pleasure. This is one of the most fundamental principles in Judaism. If you look at the beginning of Ramchal's teachings in the Misilati Sharim, Way of the Upright or Path of the Just, you'll see the first chapter is dedicated to the purpose of man in this world. The purpose of mankind is, says the Ramchal, to derive pleasure. Now, we talk about pleasure. Pleasure is a dangerous word. Many people say, oh, pleasure. Pleasure could be sinful. Pleasure can can carry you away. Well, we all know, like just like with money, there's real money and there's fake money. There's counterfeit money. So too with pleasure, there's real pleasure and there's counterfeit pleasure. And what the Torah's focus is constantly reminding us what is real pleasure versus what is fake, fleeting, disappearing pleasure. Yes, you can buy cheap pleasure. You can buy real pleasure. Which one's going to cost you more? Which one's more difficult to attain? Right? We know that what is the greatest pleasure in the world? The greatest pleasure in the world. The greatest pleasure in the world is our children. Ah, 
But how many problems come along with our children? It's not easy to attain. It's such an enormous pleasure. But yet, there's a lot of challenge that comes with it. And it's with that hard work and with that toil and with that worry and concern. What's going to be? And how are they going to do? And all of those worries only add to the pleasure that we're able to derive from it. But we also know that easy come, easy go. It's it's very pleasurable to buy a nice, uh, pleasurable to buy a nice dress, and to buy nice shoes. But you know what? That pleasure doesn't last long. It's easy come, easy go. Yes, you spend twenty five dollars and you buy that dress, and you're so excited about it. But now what? It moves on. You're not going to be excited a week later about that dress. It was an excitement. They say that the adrenal, the the endorphins that are created in the brain that give us that excitement when we buy a get, buy a, a good haul at our favorite clothing store you go to the mall and you buy by the time you get to your car with your bags that excitement it's gone is that the type of pleasure that we're seeking is that the type of pleasure we want to invest our lives in a fleeting passing momentary temporary pleasure or do we want a real genuine pleasure that is lifelong that is eternal that is never ending This is the secret to Judaism. The secret to Judaism is that God wants us to enjoy. He doesn't want us to be separated from pleasure. He wants us, uh, just another, another example. What is more pleasurable than a harmonious, beautiful, loving marriage? Nothing more pleasurable. But what is more difficult than creating a loving, harmonious, beautiful marriage? It's an unbelievable pleasure, but it takes a lot of hard work. So we see that pleasure is not an easy come, easy go. That's not what real pleasure is. Pleasure is hard work. Pleasure is something that we need to really dig deep into our core, into our essence, to connect with something, to find the virtue in something, to bring out the greatness in something. And that brings us tremendous pleasure. The greatest pain is when we fall short of that. And when we're not able to bring things to their full potential. So here, I want to share with you now a piece of Talmud that we studied before, but a piece of Talmud that I think very closely relates to this one here. So we learned now Brachot, Tractate Brachot 43b. It's on the upper quarter uh, of the of the page and here the Talmud tells us about the blessing we recite on the trees now we're going to open up another Talmud which is Tractate Chulin page 109b and the Talmud is going to tell us a story the story goes about Yalta Yalta said to Rav Nachman her husband she was the wife of Rav Nachman what does she say she says Michti Come, let us see. Call the Osarlon Rachmana Sharalon Kavase. Whatever the merciful one, whatever Hashem forbade us, He permitted us something corresponding. Osarlona Dama Sharalona Kavda. God forbade us to eat blood, but He permitted us to eat liver. Nida Dam Tohar. He forbade relations with a Nida, but permitted relations with a woman. When she's pure. Chelev, 
Behema chelev chaya. He forbade us eating the chelev, the fat, a certain type of fat of a domestic animal, but he permitted chelev from an undomesticated animal. Chazir mochadishibuta. God forbade us pork, but permitted the brains of a shibuta. Girusa lishna dechavra. He forbade us girusa. We'll find out what that is. And he permitted us the fish tongue. Aishas ish grusha bechayibali. He forbade relations with a married woman, but he permitted relations with a divorcee while her husband is alive. Aishas ach yavama. He forbade the relations with one's brother's wife, and he permitted a yavama, which is the leveret wife. Kusis yafastar. He forbade us relations with the Kuthians, but he permitted the beautiful captive. I would like to eat something that tastes like meat cooked with milk, she said. Rab Nachman ordered his chefs, impale for her udders on a spit and roast them. Okay, we'll see what this is. We're going to learn all the commentaries now. So why is this connected to the Talmud that we just learned in Brachos about saying the blessing on the tree and thanking Hashem for all the pleasures? Hashem created pleasurable things because the purpose of this world is for us not to suffer. We should never, the Talmud, the Rashi says in last week's Torah portion, Shmini, when we talk about kosher, non-kosher, a person should never say about non-kosher food, ugh, disgusting. Rather, you should say, no, it looks delicious. But you know why I'm not going to eat it? Because Hashem commanded me not to. I'm not going to eat it because Hashem commanded me not to. We should never pass by a Burger King or a Whataburger or a McDonald's and say, ugh, disgusting. You say, I'm sure it's really delicious. But Hashem commanded me not to eat it, so I'm not going to eat it. But someone can have a little bit of a tinge of animosity or Anger, oh, look, the nations of the world can go and enjoy themselves like this. They can eat anywhere. They can eat the milk and meat. They can eat this. They can eat that. And look at me. I can only eat glot kosher. I can only eat gefilte fish. By the way, gefilte fish is the worst invention ever, especially if it comes from a jar. Never, ever buy that. I think that's the reason torches in business because so many Jews ran away from Judaism because of gefilte fish in a jar. They're, now, today, they already make it very differently. If you buy it prepared from, you know, A and B fish or they buy these these rolls, they're terrific, terrific of filter fish. But you buy them from the jars, they're awful, awful, awful. So either way, please don't sue me, Manischewitz or whoever you are out there. <laughs> so Hashem doesn't want us to suffer. Hashem wants us to enjoy. In fact, this is one of my wife's pet peeves. She really dislikes all of the image that people have about kosher food. And one of the greatest compliments, but saddest compliments my wife gets, and she's a fabulous three-star Michelin chef. She likes to always make sure that she, you know, she outdoes herself every time. She overperforms every time. And when people come, they're like, I had no idea that kosher food could be this delicious. And... And that's the greatest compliment she can get, but it's also very sad that people don't associate good food with kosher food. And there's no reason. 
There's no reason for it. Manischewitz, unfortunately, is not the be-all, end-all of kosher food. Right? You can buy matzah, but don't buy the jarred gefilte fish. That's not the, that's not the finest of kosher food. Okay? By far. So what, what are we talking here? We're saying that Hashem doesn't want us to suffer. Hashem does not want us to miss out. So he created a kosher version of everything that you might think you're missing out on. Oh, you think you're missing out on pork? Guess what? Hashem created a kosher version so that you not miss out. So is it so important for you to have those pork chops? Guess what? There is a fish that has the exact same flavor, the exact same consistency and taste as pork. But that fish is kosher. Oh, 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 one second. We're going to go there. We'll get there right away. Where we, where do we go to find it? Don't worry. We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll find it. By the way, they have, they have, uh, today, they have this fake crab. I, I, I don't, I never ate crab. I never ate the fake crab. So I'm not, but many people who have tasted both say it's identical. It's very difficult. So you have the kosher version of it. In which case, which by the way, I think sometimes there's an argument that people might have somewhere in their psyche. They might have this argument, well, you can't, I, I, I can't find the kosher, so I'm gonna have to eat it non-kosher. There's plenty of kosher that is fabulous. There's plenty of kosher. Don't kid yourself into thinking that you can't find it in a kosher version. It's there. It's there. And it's, according to what the Talmud tells us, exactly the same. Exactly the same. So, for example, you have this gelatin, which is pig fat, which is put into bubble gum. So any gum that you buy that's not kosher, you look in the, in the ingredients, you will see gelatin, which is pig fat. So how do we have kosher uh, bubble gum? There is a, a gelatin which is made from fish fat, which is from a kosher fish, and it's identical. Now, again, I never tasted non-kosher Bubblegum. I will tell you though that growing up there was a little bit of a temptation to have non-kosher bubblegum because I'd buy those baseball cards, the tops baseball cards, and they came with a little strip of gum. And, uh, I was always tempted maybe to give it a shot. I actually wasn't, but, uh, but I always had to clean off that card that it was on, you know, make sure it didn't have any more of the residue in case I licked the card. You know what I mean? Right. So, so the, the again, the, the idea here is that God, does not. We started off this class by saying that God wants us to have pleasure, which is why he created us and put us into this magnificent world so that we have pleasure and that we enjoy every moment of our lives and that we not ever feel, a Jew should never feel like they're missing out. We aren't. I promise you a million times over. We are not missing out on anything. Now, I personally don't think like I'm missing out anything by not having pork. I was like, oh, you don't know what you're missing. There's plenty of kosher that I don't need to feel like I'm missing out on anything. And it's sad to me. I once went to a bar mitzvah, a bar and bat mitzvah. A friend of mine, a friend of Torch, invited me to his one of his children's bar and bat mitzvah. They were doing it together with another family. And I came in there and... You know, they were bringing out these trays with these things hanging over it. I'm not going to say what type of food it is because it's definitely not kosher. You know those things hanging over the edges of the thing? 
And I was like, what in the world did I come to? Is this a bar or a mitzvah? I mean, the, the, the food that was being served was not, none of it was kosher. The drink that was being served, none of it was kosher. And it was really sad to me that people are celebrating what is supposed to be the time where people are showing their commitment to Torah. They're showing their commitment and responsibility. And instead, it's being celebrated with things that are not kosher, the things that are not. The Torah clearly tells us not to eat those things. So to me, it's very sad. If you look at Leviticus 11, last week's Torah portion, Parshish Shemini, the Torah very clearly states what is and what is not kosher. Why is that important to us? God says, these are the ingredients your soul needs to thrive, to feel connected, which is the greatest pleasure in the world. The Ramchal tells us, pleasure, to pleasure in the closeness with the Almighty. There are things that you eat that make your stomach sick. There are things that you eat that can hurt your vision. There are things that you can eat that can hurt your belly, right? You get fat from it. There are things that you eat that can make you feel nauseous. Your soul is no different. There are certain ingredients that damage your soul's ability to connect with the Almighty. There are certain things that you eat that hamper your ability to elevate yourself spiritually. There are certain things people don't eat before they fly. It's going to give me an upset stomach. Imagine if people understood that there are certain things that are not good for your soul. They'll give your soul an upset stomach. They will block off. In fact, it's very interesting that Chinese medicine, the Chinese Journal of Medicine, they published an article about tefillin. You know, they're very into uh, acupuncture, and they 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 came up with this with this research paper that the place where we place our tefillin, our box of our tefillin, on our head, and where we place the knot in the back, and where we place the box of the tefillin on our arm, and the straps on our arm tied around seven times, are the exact places you would place acupuncture needles for spiritual connection. What a coincidence that Torah Judaism actually connects with God. It's not a coincidence. There is no coincidence in Judaism. This is the beauty of our Torah. There is no coincidence. There is not. Hashem wants us to connect with Him. Hashem wants us to build our relationship with Him. What type of relationship is it? It's not a struggle. It's not a fight, a battle. It's a pleasure. We just have to see and understand that Hashem wants only what's best for us. He tells you, listen, I'm the manufacturer, just like Mr. BMW will tell you, it's not a good idea to put water into your gas tank. It's best for you to put premium unleaded, super premium unleaded. Why? Who are you to tell me what to put into my car? Guess what? I'm the manufacturer. I'm giving you the recommendation. I'm telling you, if you want to maximize the driving experience, please, this is what you got to do. But if you don't, that's fine. You could put hay in there for all I care. I don't care. It's your car. It's exactly a parallel to how our relationship with Hashem is. 
Hashem doesn't say, oh, whoa, 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 you're putting something that's not kosher into your body. Guess what? That's not going to be good. I'm taking it away from you. No, no, no. Hashem says you have free will. You can do as you desire. Owner's recommendation. Editor's note. If you want to connect and you want to feel the highest level of pleasure, these are the ingredients. So let's see what the Talmud says here about all of these interesting foods that are a kosher substitute. I don't want to call it a kosher substitute. Hashem created it not as a substitute, but so that you, so that even the lowest of us won't ever feel like we're missing out. There's always that kosher option. And just by the way, just for the argument that people say about kosher food is so expensive, it's ridiculous, the rabbi tax. So let me just tell you like this. I've heard this so many times. Like, oh, I need a rabbi to bless my food. It's okay. My food doesn't need to be blessed. So first is, that's mistake number one. Your food is not blessed by any rabbi ever. There's no rabbi sitting on the food chain blessing your food. So that's mistake number one. Number two is that what the rabbi is doing by supervising is ensuring that nothing unkosher went into the food. His blessing is irregardless of your, you know, wanting it to be blessed or not. It is only about ensuring that no non-kosher food gets mixed in. I will give you an example that I was part of. I was working for a conscious organization many years ago, the CRC out of Chicago, and they were giving supervision for a, a plant over here in Houston that was doing potato chips or different types of chips. And they had several different lines that they would basically, they would have these potatoes that were already pre-cut, pre-everything in a big vat. They would dump, dump it into the machine and then it would go on this conveyor belt. It would go through the oil and then it would be flavored, et cetera, et cetera. So on that same belt, they would also have pork rinds that would go through that same belt. So in order for the co- the kosher line was on a separate belt. I was there. I'd go, I'd go check it out. It was on a separate belt, separate oil. There was no connection between the two. And I would come in to inspect at random times. They never knew when I was coming. They couldn't change things. And everything, because of our government, we have to have every single item that goes through that conveyor belt needs to be marked. So every single bag, when you buy a bag of potato chips, a bag of pretzels on the, thank you. So here's an example. Delicious Snyder's of Hanover mini pretzels. So if you look on the side here, they have over here all of these little numbers and letters. And this is telling you what conveyor belt it was on, what time it was produced, what the effective date, the best purchase by date it's giving you all of the information right over here. Now, we don't always understand what it means, but it was made at 11.14 a.m. This, okay, so if they have, God forbid, when they have these recalls of salmonella or something that's in the food, how do they know how to recall it? They say, if it has these numbers, we're able to recall it. We know that it was on that line. It was exactly, they're able to narrow it down. Every single one of these things. So I once went into the plant and I looked into the books and I'm like, whoa, 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 one second. I see that you ran the kosher line, quote, kosher line on the pork rinds line. And we had to pull the entire, the entire stock, the entire batch was thrown out, not sold as non-kosher because it goes into the bags that says that kosher certification. The entire batch was thrown out. 
That is what the rabbi does. The rabbi ensures that there is proper supervision. I would hate to buy a bag of potato chips that was soaked in the oil with pork rinds. That would be a devastating thing. And that's why you need to have a rabbi who's overseeing these things that's ensuring that the food you're buying is actually kosher. When you see, which by the way, this bag has a kosher symbol on it. This has the OU, the Orthodox Union. Right over here is the kosher symbol. It's telling you that we had a rabbi there supervising, ensuring that this was actually done in a kosher way, that all of the ingredients are kosher, that the line that it was put on, that the ovens that it was on in, that they were baked in, everything was done properly and that it is okay. By us putting that symbol there, we're ensuring that the food you're eating is actually kosher. There you go. Eat it. Enjoy. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Excellent question. So why are there so many kosher symbols? So it's a very great question. I'll tell you the way it started. The entire kosher industry really started as a mistake. Okay, do you know the first time there was a kosher symbol on a product? Heinz Ketchup. Heinz Ketchup called up the Orthodox Union and said, we want you to supervise our kosher line of ketchup. And the OU had no idea what they were talking about. This is back probably in the 50s or or 40s. Like, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't have it. They said, no, 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 we need a rabbi, the Orthodox Union, to come and supervise that the kosher, that this ketchup is kosher. So they said, okay, we'll send the rabbi out. And the Heinz company is the one who created the OU symbol so that people would know that this is the Orthodox Union. Just a little bit of the history. I hope I'm getting it correctly. But that's really how it started. And basically, the way it worked beforehand was that you had a local rabbi. So you had a sheichet. You had a slaughterer. And people would bring their chicken to the slaughter. Slaughter would check that it's kosher. He would slaughter the animal and he would soak it, he would salt it, he would rinse it, and the person would take it home. And many times, by the way, when my mother was a child, they learned this in the curriculum in school, in high school. The girls learned how to soak and salt and wash the the, the chicken because people would literally go buy a chicken or a turkey and bring it to their local sheichet. The sheichet would slaughter it. He was knowledgeable and trained in how to do kosher slaughtering and how to check the innards of the animal to ensure that this was indeed a kosher animal. And he'd give it back to the family. They'd take it home. Now they have to take care of it. And the girls, my mother, learned how to properly, halachically, do the kosher, the cleansing of the of the of the chicken. This was a part of the curriculum back then. Today, people are a little bit more lazy and people want to have everything ready made in the store. So what do we have to do? We have to ensure, so they'd go to the local rabbi and say, listen, I need to provide for my clientele chicken ready in a, in a little, you know, tray that they can buy ready to make and then put it on their barbecue grill and whatever it is, whether it's chicken or meat, people want it ready. So would you agree to come into my kitchen to certify that everything that's done is kosher, that the slaughtering is kosher, that the soaking, the salting, the rinsing, the washing is all kosher and that everything that wasn't mixed with something not kosher, God forbid. So the rabbi said, okay, but the rabbi's time is not free. So the rabbi said, listen, it's going to cost $12 an hour, whatever the minimum wage is. I'm going to send someone there who's trained, who understands what's going on, and they're going to oversee the process. So that happened 
in every city around the world. Because again, the way the market has been developed and the way to, you have today industrialized pr- production of food, where you have millions of bags like this being produced, pretzels and potato chips and all of that, you have to send the rabbi out there to that plant. And whether it be a milk factory, it used to be that people would just go, they'd go to the farm down the road and they'd milk the cow themselves, pay for the for the jug of milk and go back home. And then you didn't need any certification for anything because you did it yourself. But today with the industrialized world as it is today and you have manufacturing plants that produce anything from ices and ice cream and cookies and cakes and everything is made so you need someone to certify that this is approved and this is kosher. So it's not to, it's not a business. It's there out of necessity. This is what the community needs. Today you have, uh, they say it's a, over a $50 billion industry, the kosher industry. Of course, the kosher consumer is growing and growing by the day because we're having many children in the kosher observant community. And also there are many people who are not observant who also know that kosher food means it's a higher standard of quality. That doesn't mean that all kosher food is healthy. Unfortunately, there's plenty of obesity in the kosher observant community. Plenty. That's because people are probably overeating like myself. We eat a little bit too much. It's too much too good because uh, we're not eating the Manischewitz gefilte fish from a jar. But... <laughs> The idea here is that we need to understand that God created all of these things so that we enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having good food. It's not sinful to eat good food. It is sinful for us to damage our bodies and to not take care of it. So here's just a little plug. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, please be healthy, eat well, exercise well, take care of your bodies because it's the only body we're going to get to carry this soul around. And the soul has a job to do. We have things we need to accomplish with this soul. And if we don't have a healthy body, we might cut that life short of that soul. Not good. So this is a word of encouragement that we all, mainly to myself, looking here at the mirror, uh, a word of encouragement that we all need to make sure that we are good curators of our dwelling for our soul, which is the body. We need to ensure that our body would take good care of it because it's not the body that's going to miss out and lose out. It's our soul that's going to lose out if we're not going to be healthy. We're not going to be able to fulfill our responsibilities in this world. So, yes, sir. So the question is whether or not you can have ready-made chicken or meat from one of those supermarkets like Randall's that we have here in Houston or HEB. So HEB does not offer any cooked food, hot, but Randall's does. They have rotisserie chicken that's kosher. They have other foods that are ready-made that are kosher, and they stamp it. It is certified. There's a rabbi there, a mashgiach there, who is trained that, A, it was kosher. Number two is that everything in the process, all of the ingredients are certified in kosher. So if you – you can try this. You can say, listen, I have um, – go them get them a non-kosher – uh, ingredient. And you say, would you mind, I would like to have my kosher chicken, uh, cooked in, in your, in your facility here, right? And you, you have chicken there and you say, can you just, I like this ingredient. Can you just put this ingredient on the chicken? And the mishgech will look at it and say, I'm sorry, you can find the kosher one, kosher ingredient, but not that. 
And said there, nothing can go back into that kitchen without the mashgiach, the person supervising, ensuring that everything is kosher that gets in there. Every delivery that comes is, you know who holds the key of the fridge, of the freezer? The mashgiach, the supervisor. If the supervisor doesn't unlock that refrigerator, the owner of the store, the owner of the restaurant can't get into it. Because what's to stop a unscrupulous, non-God-fearing restaurateur, the restaurant owner, from buying um, chicken from Purdue or Tyson, taking out the wrapping, wrapping it up with as if it's like kosher, bringing it into his kitchen and cooking and serving it like that? What's to stop him? The supervisor. The supervisor is there and they have to be there all the time. For meat, they have to be there all the time. And they have to supervise to ensure that they are not, God forbid, swapping things out. And the only time there have been, there have been a few instances, not many, thank God, but there have been a few instances where you did have unscrupulous store owners who swapped out kosher meat for non-kosher meat. And it was tragic. Those people had to be excommunicated from the community and I remember there was a story that happened actually in Muncie in the place where my mother used to buy her chicken and meat and it turned out that this individual was selling some of his chicken and meat that were not kosher that he was relabeling and bringing in and um, I called my mother. I found out about this when I was in Israel so it was like early in the morning. I heard about it. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. I called my mother and back in New York it is 1 a.m. And I called my mother as soon as I found out about it. And she says she was up the entire night till that point, koshering the entire kitchen. Because if she had something which was unkosher in her pots and pans, those things become unkosher. She stayed up and koshered every single thing in her kitchen. It's a big problem. Imagine the sin that this person is causing upon thousands of people who would buy and trust his kosher. Now, I'll tell you, it's his fault, and it's also the supervisor's fault. Because the person, the rabbi, there was. And the supervisor was a little bit casual about it because he knew the, he knew the guy. He seemed to be like a, a God-fearing Jew. No, 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 no. There's nobody who's trusted. And this is the same idea we say about adultery in Judaism. Nobody is trusted. Nobody's trusted. It's not because you're unscrupulous. We have doubts about you. We think you're not. No, 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 no. Nobody is trusted. Why? Someone could be struggling financially. You say, you know what? I can save 25% if I just bought through Purdue. I'll repackage it, bring it in the back door. Nobody will know. No, 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 no. That's why you need a supervisor there. That no one who even in a moment of weakness, in a moment, and everyone has a moment of weakness, but in a moment of weakness like this, it could be tragic. And a person needs to therefore set boundaries, which is why here in Torch, for example, we have windows in every room. No one meets with rabbis alone. Nobody. A woman says, Rabbi, I need to meet with you privately. I'm sorry, I don't meet with women privately. You want to meet? We can meet here in the open where anyone can see. There's windows everywhere, where there's cameras everywhere. God forbid, even if you have that amount of of caution, some crazy person can go out there and say, hey, I, I was there and the rabbi, well, we have cameras. We have everything to, to, to protect also the rabbis and to, to keep us 
mainly the rabbis, so that we don't, God forbid, get hurt in the process. But this is to ensure that there's an extra level of protection. We need to set it up before we're in a challenge. And that's why we have kosher supervision. So just to go back to this, even though we're way off track here, but that's the nature of the thinking Talmudist class, is that we keep on thinking and talking it out. And yes, we have many kosher symbols. Make sure they're good ones. Make sure they're bona fide, authentic. That you And you can ask me. I have people texting me all the time. Have you heard this uh, of this kashros? Have you? I just got one yesterday. I just got one yesterday. Someone texted me. He says this someone claiming to be a certification out of Houston, Texas. You know who this guy is. I said, I do. He's Rabbi Yaakov Cohn from Tort. Excellent. Highly recommend it. And you can find some products actually in Costco that are certification of Rabbi Yaakov Cohen, uh, like the frozen mango. You go there and you look at the frozen mango, you'll see the certification is whole kosher foods. And that is Rabbi Yaakov Cohen from Torch, our very own. So that's, that's awesome. I, I was like buying the product with joy and with like a special, like a special kavana, a special intention, like, ah, we're supporting our own people. And I'm very excited about that. So yes, so look around for good kosher symbols. Now, sometimes just because it's a kosher symbol doesn't mean it's bona fide. It does not mean that it's a good one just because it's, oh, it says K, it's gotta be good. It says K. For example, there's a common mistake that people have with two symbols, two particular symbols, uh, and I'm not here to decide whether or not they are or not kosher. I don't want them suing me and telling me that I defamed them or anything like that. But look into it. There are many who say that it's questionable. One of them is triangle K, and the other is tablet K. It looks like two tablets with a K in the middle, and you see it on fish many times. And according to many people that I've asked, it's not recommended. Again, I, I, each one of our listeners and each one of our viewers, please do your own research and don't rely on anything I'm telling you on this matter. Do your own research. But make sure that if you're relying on the supervision of another person, that you know that those people are bona fide and that they're not relying on leniencies that are unacceptable. And many times they'll find some leniency from some rabbi from a thousand years ago that nobody holds by. It says, oh, he says that if you have this and it's less than that, then you, that it's fine, that it's okay. It's not okay. Just like we wouldn't be okay with an unscrupulous mechanic for our car who's going to put in the wrong thing for our oil and put the wrong thing in for our, our fluids. We would be like, no, 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 it's my car. I don't want my car. Don't do that with your body either. You want to make sure that the foods you eat are bona fide, authentically kosher and not ones that are compromised. Yes, yeah, so 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 definitely, if someone is is uh, mistakenly sold items that were portrayed as being kosher, and they didn't know, so it's it's a show gig. It's someone who did it by mistake. It's unintentional, and therefore, in the heavens, they're not going to hold that person liable. But again, we're we're saying that we we want to be on the highest standard possible, and ensure that everything that comes into our mouths is one. perfect. That's what we're striving for. We're striving to ensure that everything is on the up and up and that we're not dealing with any compromises and we're not trying to cut any corners. Again, there are some cautious agencies that will cut corners. They say, well, it's uh, for the masses and we want to make it affordable, so we're just going to you know, overlook certain things. That's not acceptable. We want to ensure that everything that goes into our mouth is on the highest level of kosher. Okay, so um, 
it, it, it is important. It's not, it's not, look, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. There's no reason that every single ice cream shop shouldn't be kosher. It, what, it's ice cream for crying out loud. It's not so difficult, right? But there's a process of doing it the right way so that it could be certified. It's not, it's not something which is out of reach. The rabbis should make it very easy and attainable for every single vendor that wants to be kosher to be able to find a way for it to become kosher with substitutes. It doesn't have to be pork. We can have that shibuta fish, that the shibuta fish is the parallel to pork. So if you need to have, today they have in the kosher restaurants here in Houston, kosher steakhouses, and there are two fabulous steakhouses. I highly recommend them both. There's Casa Bar and Grill and there's Genesis Steakhouse, both fabulous. You can you have substitutes to bacon. You have kosher substitutes. And people tell me, when I've eaten there with them, they said, you cannot tell the difference. It tastes exactly the same. I've never tasted the, the non-kosher bacon, but I've tasted this where they call it fake in or bacon or whatever. They give it different names because they don't want it to sound the same. But um, there's no reason that we can't work with them to find a way to make it more accessible for people. That without any compromise whatsoever, what cannot be done is you cannot make something which is not kosher, kosher. You can never do that. So you can't have kosher uh, pork chops and you cannot find kosher shellfish. You're not going to find that. You can find a substitute for it which tastes similar or identical. I think we, I think we've covered this and thank you very much for your question. There are websites. You can go to kosherquest.org, I believe it is, and the CRC, the Chicago Rabbinic uh, Council, who is probably the best, the best. You have the COR from Canada, the, the Canadian Orthodox rabbis, I think it's called. Uh, COR is fabulous. You have Star K, you have OK, you have OU, you have Chafke. I mean, there are so many remarkable, remarkable uh, kosher supervisions. Some of them are local only, like you have the Houston Kosher Association, the HKA, which is local. It's Houston-based. You have the San Antonio Kosherus, which is only San Antonio. You have Austin, which is with Rabbi Trepp. He deals with Austin entities there. And you have in Dallas, you have Dallas Kosher. Then you have those that are big industrial supervisors and they're not only for their local communities they also do manufacturing plants and they'll send people out to china and indonesia and all these other countries that provide products or chemicals that are put into products to ensure that every single one of them where they were made and the way they were sealed because how do i know that later on someone didn't drop something else in there it's got to remain sealed with the rabbi's signature on the seal to ensure that no tampering has been like like just like when you open up a jar, it says if the if the top is popped, return it and get a new one. It means someone tampered with it. The same thing is with the seal of the rabbi. It should be untampered with, and to show its authenticity and that it is indeed uh, something which is kosher and that was not played with. So, my dear friends, we're a little bit over time already, but I want to thank you so much for this exciting conversation and. Next week, God willing, we'll continue this Talmud from the tractate in Chulin 109b. Right, but you know what? I'll tell you what is, I'll tell you what really is amazing about the kosher industry today is that it used to be when I was a child and you'd walk in the supermarkets and the stores, 
If you were in a Jewish community, you'd be able to find kosher. If you were outside of a Jewish community, you were out in New Hampshire, you wouldn't find anything kosher. Today, with the industrialized kosher, you can find almost everything kosher. I ha- I'll just share with you one quick story. We did many years ago, we started a program that currently is run by the Houston Kosher Association, but it used to be run exclusively by Torch. And it was called Kosher Month. It started as Kosher Week, and then we went to Kosher Month. And part of the experience was giving people a tour of supermarkets. And it is – I was once sitting at someone's house, and I was telling him, oh, right now we're in the middle of doing Kosher Month, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going through – he says to me, Rabbi, I will never be kosher, ever. I said, really? I was sitting with him in his house learning. I said, come with me to your pantry, and I will show you that you could be kosher easier than you can imagine. And we went through and I showed him the kosher symbols, the OU, the OK, the star K, the Chaf K, the, all of those things. He says, I never knew that means it's kosher. I thought that just meant it's like, you know, registered trademark or something. I had no idea. It turned out there were of, of his entire walk-in pantry, there were about 10 products that were not kosher. And those 10 products, it's just because he picked the one that didn't have a certification. It's not that it's something that the whole category was not kosher. It wasn't like, you know, it was, it was, you know, jarred. Pork. It was a, a tuna fish that just didn't have the kosher certification. It was corn that you could have picked the kosher corn, but you picked the non-kosher one. And if we just pay attention and notice when we go shopping, just look for those symbols. You will find, I guarantee you, every salad dressing you can find in a kosher. Every single topping for cakes and every single topping for your soup and your, your dishes, whatever it is that you want to do, you can find a kosher supplement for it. So it's not so difficult. It's not like it used to be. Today, because of the world of the manufacturing plants and the industrialized kosher world, we can find kosher everywhere. Lenders, bagels, you can be anywhere in the United States, almost anywhere on planet Earth, and find lenders, bagels. They're kosher. Look, there's an OU symbol there. So it's not so difficult. It used to be, uh-oh, we're traveling someplace. We're going to uh, Arkansas. There's not going to be kosher food there. You can stop in any Walmart, the grocery. Uh, you can find it in Target. You can find kosher everywhere. Except for, yes, yeah, so even cheese you might be able to find. There's some craft cheese that is kosher. Yeah, there's some, some. You can look for the symbol. You will find it. And uh, like the string cheese, the craft string cheese, look for the symbol. Make sure that it's kosher. By the way, I made the mistake sometimes. That sometimes I go to a store. I, I, I do the shopping and I, I put things into my cart. My wife's like, this isn't kosher. Like after I came home and I didn't realize it was one that had a kosher symbol and now doesn't. Sometimes we assume that it always is kosher, you know, but sometimes they lose their certification because they decided to, to, to supplement certain in, ingredients and certain, uh, components with non-kosher. Yeah, that's right. And, and the kosher certifier will tell you that if a product is no, that they certify is no longer kosher or if there's been, been a problem. There, there, there are things that happen in manufacturing plants. You know, they can't get from their supplier certain, certain, uh, uh, ingredients. So they go to a new supplier and that new supplier is not kosher and they forget to tell the supervisor. They forget to tell. And usually they check to ensure that every part is kosher and every supplier is giving you kosher product. You need to ensure it's part of what my job was when I was working under the CRC was to ensure that each vat that they were receiving of all of the ingredients of everything had a certification. And it wasn't a certification of CRC. It was a certification of a different entity 
one was in in uh, Montreal and one was in Washington State and one and we needed to ensure that everyone was properly certified by its original uh manufacturer. So it's not it's not it's it's gotten much more complicated than just having a rabbi walk into the store and ensure that it's kosher. Thank you. I hope they, I hope this gave an opportunity for everyone to understand with uh, with greater clarity how the kosher industry works and hopefully next week we'll continue to learn about the incredible pleasures that God wants us to enjoy from and God is not limiting us. So my dear friends, have a magnificent Shabbos and thank you so, so very much. One of the blessings that we recite under the chuppah is really beautiful blessing. Let me read this to you. Under the chuppah, so one of, one of the blessings that we recite under the chuppah by the, by the, uh, by the rabbi officiating the chuppah, he blesses on the wine and then he says the following blessing. Baruch atah Hashem alokeinu melech haolam. Asher who commanded us with his commandments, vitzivanu al harois, and commanded us regarding forbidden unions, and forbade betrothed women to us, meaning if you're not married, you're forbidden to them, and permitted women who are married to us through canopy and consecration, Blessed are you, Hashem, who sanctifies us, his people Israel, through canopy and consecration. So what's going on here? Meaning, the Torah is telling us, if you're not married, forbidden. Married? Torah wants you to be married. The Torah wants you to have relations. The Torah wants you to be with your spouse properly. It's the right time. Is the right place. And that's what the Torah is telling us. The Torah is not telling us, you can't be with a woman. No, you could be with a woman. Marry her. So just a couple of notes here. Someone wrote in the comments here that when they lived in Chicago, they could buy beef bacon, which I believe was, you can find the kosher of it. And it was better than the pork. So my dear friends, have an amazing Shabbos and thank you so much for this delightful, exciting class. I learned a lot. Have a good Shabbos.